Hi, welcome back to another episode of Real World Serverless, a podcast where I speak with real world practitioners and get their stories from the trenches. Today, I'm joined by Sean Wang, who you may know as the probably the person who coined the term AI engineer. Uh, but let's talk about it in a minute. Um, so, Sean, welcome to the show. Um, hey, and uh, really good to be here. Uh, you know, been following you for a long time, and uh, you know, I think we've had chats before, but uh, this is the first chat that we're going to have about all the AI stuff that's been happening. And I've been spending the past year uh, going really, really hard on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been watching a lot of things that you've been doing on the AI side of things, uh, like small developer and small AI projects, which I'd like to talk about in a minute. Uh, uh, but I guess. Um, uh, one of the things I saw you wrote about a couple of months ago was this article called The Rise of the AI Engineer. And I remember you saying that uh, it's likely going to be the highest demand engineering job of the decade. And since you wrote that post, I've been seeing more and more job postings that are looking for AI engineers. Um, so for anyone who's not been kind of following this whole movement, uh, who was, who's not familiar with this uh, new job title, how would you define you know, as the AI engineer and how is it different from, say, application developers using AI tools and maybe machine learning uh, engineers, uh, you know, building the next chat GPT model? Yeah. Um, so I am basically putting a name to the phenomenon that is happening with the proliferation of large language models and, you know, uh, basically the GPT 3 and 4 becoming good enough for engineers to repurpose it to general purpose reasoning and code generation use cases. And so the, the classic difference between um, ML engineers and AI engineers is a chart that people should have that you can see in the Rise of the AI Engineer blog post, where it's a spectrum from the, from the left to the right. On the left, it is sort of research constrained, and on the right is product constrained. Um, so on the left, you have all the research scientists, the, the PhDs, you know, uh, coming on new algorithms and um, training and figuring out how to train the next great language model. Um, or it doesn't have to be a language model. It can just be training any any models whatsoever. And then the ML engineers who are more uh, tuned towards serving them and inferencing and also a little bit of data pipelines and stuff. And then uh, there's a sort of dotted line in the middle for the API. What happens after you serve the serve the models? And typically, historically, that model gets thrown over the wall, and then uh, it is uh, it, it is up to the job of the software engineers to integrate them within the products for the end customer and user to use. What's changing in that landscape is that there's a emerging stack that is uh, starting very small and growing over time that is starting at the API layer and then uh, moving towards the software engineering layer. So effectively, software engineers specializing in uh, AI applications is going to become uh, known as the AI engineer. Um, and why this is a separate job title is the same reason why software engineers call themselves DevOps engineers. They call themselves data engineers. It just marks that that is the specialty that they've chosen within the field, the general field of software engineering. Of course, we share uh, a lot of similar tools and of course we share a lot of um, similar best practices, but there are gonna be a lot of day-to-day -day conversations and day-to-day -day tooling that is gonna be very different. And so um, I basically saw that happening live. I saw that people wanting, were, were, were building, talking a totally different language. Like if you're immersed in AI, you take a lot of things like RAG, Retrieval Augmented Generation, you take that for granted. Everyone knows the same papers. Everyone has seen the same demos. Everyone uses the same stacks. Um, that, is a, that is a specialization that is emerging. And companies want to hire for them. People want to become more specialized there. Uh, so I think there's a very strong um, merging of the minds there. Um, and I think the last point I'll make is that all of this could have happened 10 years before. It's, it's, not, it's not strictly new, except for one thing, which is the emergence of foundation model labs that are effectively research um, or ML departments as a service, right? Like, so instead of buying and building your own um, ML researchers and ML engineers in-house within your company, now all these foundation models labs are effectively serving as ML engineers and ML researchers um, as a service, right? So you, you, you call them as a vendor, as an API. Um, and therefore, they will, you will need a different set of skills to integrate those applications and, and deal with them because they are mostly closed source. And then there's a separate there's a separate group for open source models, which you can also host, and that is much more the classic domain of ML engineering. Um, at the same time, 
there's a, there's there's still so much uh, products to build between the models and the final end end product um, that is going to be the topic of AI engineering. Right, and I guess uh, you know, with uh, new services like uh, AWS Bedrock, those are specifically targeting the AI engineers who are going to be building those integrations, who are going to be working with those um, both the foundational models, but also the open source models, and then building a layer on top of that by combining you know, tool chains like um, Langchain and a bit of a uh, you know, prompt engineering to then actually professionalize uh, the language models and making applications out of it using you know rag and uh, and other techniques like that. Now that uh, we've uh, the, the 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 chat the OpenAI Dev Day that just passed uh, and that they've they've announced the you know, GPTs, this additional way of you uh, for you to build uh, AI agents. Um, so do you think that whole sort of tool chain is also going to sh shift again now that OpenAI oh, is yeah. the is, is, is kind of changing the landscape for the tool chains. Yeah, uh, you know, I used to work at AWS and you are very familiar with the AWS ecosystem. Uh, if yesterday uh, at Dev Day felt very much like uh, the reinvent moment when, uh, you know, the, classically we call this the red wedding moment. Like, you know, you've, you invite all your customers in there and you find out which one of you are gonna die <laughs> because, um, you know, the, the, the main platform already built your features. Um, so uh, that, that's a bit of a joke, mostly because um, OpenAI's movements have been very friendly to developers. You know, I think they uh, they built in some of the agents' uh, stuff, some of the stateful stuff that other companies have been building, but they built the simplest possible version of them. It's actually like pretty bad uh, <laughs> if you actually try to to use it and evaluate it on on any reasonable metric. Uh, and that I mean that's fine. That's a good thing. It will improve over time, and and OpenAI will compete with its own customers, and that is fine. Um, but at the at the end of the day, OpenAI is most focused on general intelligence, and uh, the AI engineering stack is much more focused on let's say customization and sophistication uh, for the largest uh, users. Um, so I, I don't really see them in conflict because um, OpenAI is basically just going to be the first one-stop default shop for uh, anything that that you might want, um, and then when you want more customization, you will reach out to the broader ecosystem of vendors. Uh, and I think that's a probably a healthy balance. And it's the same thing with Amazon. Right. So I guess in that case, uh, it kind of reminds me of the, all the observability tooling from AWS that uh, it meets the <laughs> basic requirements. But at the moment you kind of step out of that, uh, okay, getting started, building something very simple. Now you need to have a more specialized vendor looking after you know, things that you just can't get from AWS because uh, AWS only, you know, doing that level one thing. Now you need level two and level three and level four, and you need the more specialized, the more capable vendors to, to provide those uh, capabilities for your business. So I guess you're thinking about it's gonna be the same thing where OpenAI is gonna give you that really basic tooling, but then the, pretty soon, uh, once you get to something more sophisticated, you're gonna need to have someone who's able to customize the model or doing some other work to, uh, to actually give you the desired business capabilities. Yeah, and I'll give you a very simple example. Uh, so I'm a book author. I think uh, I think we've we've maybe talked uh, before about uh, my book. Um, and uh, so the, one of the first things that when I got access to the new GPT assistance uh, um, capability was I uploaded my book and then tried to create a book chat, right? Um, and so I asked it, you know, what is in chapter nine? You know. Uh, and it's supposed to go to chapter nine and retrieve all of that and summarize that we're using its 128k context, which can fit the whole book, uh, to be honest. Uh, it did not, it hallucinated the contents of my book. Um, so it was wrong. Like it, it was just straight up wrong. And, uh, that's very dangerous, right? Because, um, that means I, I cannot as a book author endorse this thing because I, I, I cannot, I was going to, I was going to try to ship it to my, to my customers and say, Hey, you can buy the book and the book comes with a chat so you can chat with the book. Uh, uh, and I, I was, I wanted to use uh, the, the default opening IGPT with it. Just try it with any PDF that you know very well. Um, maybe, maybe something longer so that it has to sort of index and re and retrieve uh, things rather than, uh, than just stuff everything into the context. But it's, pretty obvious pretty soon enough that uh, it's the defaults are actually not very good. Um, and, and there's no way to customize it. So the only way to do it is to use the existing stack like Langchain and Windex. So um, in that sense, uh, I think I, you can very ilus easily illustrate this to yourself by just trying out the stuff that already exists 
in the playground and in ChatGPT uh, to to understand how basic the OpenAI implementations are. It's not a criticism of them. I think they 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 want zero configuration defaults for the vast majority of users. Um, for and and unfortunately, the, the zero configuration default not that good right now, but it's going to improve. Um, at the same time, there are always going to be more demanding people who want more configuration. Yeah, and I read somewhere that the medical is the, the medical industry is one of the like guess the leading industries that are making use of AI, and it's one of the fields that are advancing the most uh, with AI. And I imagine, especially in that field, you don't want the AI to has to, um, to hallucinate any answers. So when people are asking about you know for uh, for advice uh, for potentially you know uh, diagnosing symptom uh, symptoms, you definitely don't want any hallucinations happening over there. Um, you mentioned your book, so I guess we're talking about the coding career handbook. Um, so you actually wrote that back in 2020, I think, before the whole Gen AI uh, stuff started happening. So I imagine a lot of advice that you gave back then is probably need to be updated. Uh, so I guess the question is, uh, what would you change if we were to write this book again today with all the AI changes uh, that's happened the last couple of years uh, uh, in mind? Uh, so what, what is the, um, what specifically about the changes do, would you want to focus on? Yeah. So, uh, so I guess that the change is more, is more about, uh, so, you know, as someone who's trying to break into this, uh, this software and, um, industry, what kind of advice would you give someone to do that now, especially now. with <laughs> AI is changing everything? Yeah. Um, I actually don't think that it changes that much. In fact, I think it got a lot easier to learn how to code. Because now when you're stuck, you can ask an AI for help instead of filing a question on Stack Overflow and then getting it closed as a duplicate of a completely different question from five years ago. So I think in that sense, uh, I think it's much easier to learn to code. I have always said that AI engineering is 90% the same skills as, as software engineering and then 10% a slightly different stack that you need to understand and you need to read papers and, um, and you have to understand that things move a lot faster in this field than in other fields, uh, just because it's so immature compared to other fields. So I, I think if you're comfortable with all that, you can get started right away. Um, I have someone working on my team who just graduated from bootcamp this year, and um, he needs to learn a, a lot of software engineering skills. But then he can also pick up AI stuff along the way. Um, it, it is just a new API to program with, with different uh, assumptions, a new new system to program with, with different assumptions. But ultimately, um, you know, the same traditional path, uh, except that you have a tutor on demand anytime you want it, which is very cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I do find that this is really, I guess it's a lot easier now that you've got tools like a co-pilot and things like that, which, uh, you know, if you can describe what it is you want to do sufficiently, uh, they're able to spit out a code and uh, you know, I, I use a chat GPT, for example, to give me a high level description for how should I approach this particular problem. Uh, a lot of the solutions that it gave uh, in terms of the, the, the details uh, are often wrong by a tiny bit. Uh, but at least from the high level, the, the approach, um, I find that quite useful. But doesn't that also mean that uh, someone who's starting now has got another stack they have to learn besides the the the, the software, uh, the, the programming language, uh, yeah. you know, the, the cloud services, and all these other things? And now you've also got you know, you know LLMs uh, and uh, and the two and the line chain, all these other things you have learned as well. <laughs> it's no big deal. It, it really is not. It, um, I do actually think about it as a new cloud. Um, and I think this is very relevant for the uh, for your audience, um, you know. And I I spend a, I spend a lot of time learning and exploring AWS. Um, fun fact: so Satya Nadella was at Dev Day, and yesterday I attended a private dinner that uh, he had, and I asked him this question, which is, um, you know, when you sign up for OpenAI and ChatGPT and you start building with it, um, it runs compute because it now has code interpreter, so it can execute code. Right, it stores files. I can upload files and have it return and read files and all that. Um, and then, like, uh, you, you can even it even does, uh, does domain registration. So um, when you create a, a GPT and share it publicly, uh, they actually ask you to hook up a domain and uh, add a, a TXT record to your domain so that they can uh, sort of proxy it or whatever. Um, then I'm like, wait, is OpenAI becoming the fourth major cloud? Uh, 
And so I asked Satya this and, uh, you know, I asked him basically, are you enabling your next competitor? Are you the Yahoo to open as Google, right? Like, are you, are you like sort of swapping out your, your main services and, and Google's, you know, serving your, the actual valuable thing and then uh, Google's going to replace you. Uh, and Satya said like, you know, we're good partners, blah, blah, blah. He has to say that because he's a public company CEO. Um, but I, I do think like, uh, this is a new sort of kind of way to interact with cloud services that, that uh, state is managed in a different way, compute is managed in a different way, networking and, and bandwidth or whatever. Like they, they, they have different implications here, but there's like the same principles and you're learning a, a, a new cloud system just like you would if you are a general sort of desktop programmer and you had to learn cloud for the first time. There's all these foreign concepts when you when you learn AWS for the first time, when you learn Azure for the first time, uh, and it's no different here. You know, it's just a new system. Uh, it, it's maybe less deterministic. Uh, I would say that, and then it also deprecates a lot quicker. Uh, the average lifespan of a of a model now is like six months. So, um, you know, imagine building production services on these things and then having them degrade randomly overnight or. Uh, and and you, you can't really trace it because there's a you know 175 billion parameters for it to go wrong. So yeah, I, uh, I would say like it is a new stack. It is it is much more immature, uh, but it is a career choice for you whether or not you want to build on mature stacks or you want to make your name in a new stack that will become mature at some point. And uh, something I talk about a lot for uh, career advice for software engineers is that once you have some baseline level of job security that you, you know you can get a job, if, if worse comes to worse, you can, you, can, you can make your living, you can feed your family, then you should attach yourself to something that you believe will be a mega trend to grow over the next 10 years because it is much easier to, be, to make your name uh, being early in something than to be late in something and build on top of uh, an existing stack of thought leadership and existing frameworks that uh, you have to catch up on, right? Like when everybody is on the same footing because nobody knows anything, uh, you, you have an equal playing field. Yeah, I guess that that kind of mirrors a lot of the things that you've done the, in your career as well, because uh, you, you you came from a non-IT uh, non background and you went into IT, you got into the cloud uh, pretty, uh, pretty much straight away. And then, uh, you know, you would do the whole learning in public thing as you were learning to build. And then the, you got into... Um, you know, going going to, going to AI pretty early, and uh, you started building things like a small developer, and you started to write about uh, uh, AI in the latent space and the things like that. Uh, which I think that's the, the, no, those. Are, I mean, just watching your, your you know your, your career progression has been <laughs> super impressive uh, the last couple of years. Uh, um, uh, so firstly, I guess no, well done. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I should mention, uh, I guess uh, I, I would advise everyone to learn in public, right? I, that, that is the, the core principle that I live by. And uh, it, has, it has really served me very well in this, tra in this transition, uh, but in, in all future things that I do. Um, and I will say that latent space has been a huge, like probably the most successful thing I've, I've done so far, you know, um, which is a combination of sort of newsletter and podcasts. And um, like we, we were the only invited podcast to OpenAI Dev Day uh, to 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 cover it, and uh, um, because they they understand that that we are builders as well, and we're uh, you know we do quality work, and um, I think they recognize that, and you know, so I I, I feel like uh, you know people like yourself as well, like you also put a lot of uh, thought leadership out there. I, I quote your orchestration versus choreography article all the time, um, and uh, and you know you you put you do your courses and you do this podcast. And I, I think it's one, it's a community service, but two, it's a way for you yourself to ask questions that you're thinking about live, and then and just get it for, uh, get it processed in public by other people, right? Like um, I'm sure you get a lot of personal benefit out of doing this stuff. Yeah, talking to people like yourself who really know their space really well and uh, just asking the questions that I've been thinking about uh, has been super useful for me just in terms of learning and uh, progression and getting a broader perspective on the, well, the, on the software industry as a whole. Um, so that's been super useful for me doing this uh, podcast. Uh, um, and we've actually you know, talked about the, the, uh, the OpenAI's uh, dev day a couple of times now. Um, so I guess maybe let's just talk about that. And, uh, you know, they've obviously announced uh, lots of uh, pretty big things. Um, what was the, I guess, what were the biggest highlight for you? What do you think of the things that they've announced has the biggest impact uh, in the next uh, coming you know, months and the years? Yeah, I think you have to really look at it as the equivalent of OpenAI's WWDC. Um, so, which is Apple's developer conference. 
even though it's a develop, it's called a dev day, it's a developer conference, whatever. Half of it was consumer facing. <laughs> half of it was uh, on ChatGPT, a no code, uh, you know, a no code experience for for creating GPTs, which is a horrible name for uh, for what they're calling agents. Um, but it's fine. It's whatever they they get to call it whatever they want. I, I think it's a very good platform move. I think it's a, a much better implementation of what plugins uh, should have been um, that they launched in March. And I think for the non-technical audience, this is the best way to code with natural language that we've ever seen. Um, I think Notion will be launching their AI integration, um, their sort of AI upgrade uh, in a few months. And you'll see you'll see another one that I, I personally have been demoed and I think it's really compelling. But I think ChatGPT is one and obviously it's going to reach uh, 100 million people. They, they disclose 100 million weekly active users, which is crazy. Um, uh, so, so like, yeah, everyone's going to experience that. And um, when you build for that big of an audience, you have to cater to the, the no code market. And so I think that that is uh, very good. Like uh, there's a, there's a whole category of apps that can be built with completely no code and AI engineers and developers should not even touch it. They should, they should just let, uh, you know, the, the non-technical people build their own stuff and that's fine. Uh, the second part of the, the day was more about the APIs, uh, and that's, that is about OpenAI as a developer platform. Uh, and that was also uh, extremely impactful and, and uh, exciting. Every single modality has an API now, including the ones that we did not expect them to release. So we knew that Dolly 3 and GPT-4 Vision were coming as APIs. Uh, but the, the whisper and the rumor on the street was that they weren't ready, they didn't have enough GPUs, blah, blah, blah. All wrong. All, all of them were wrong. They released everything. <laughs> and, and not just that, they also released uh, text-to-speech, which is a functionality that was released, which, which is, exists in ChatGPT, but nobody had any idea that they would be releasing it um, in, the, um, in the API as well. Uh, and then finally, the, the stateful APIs that they were releasing um, basically kind of eliminates a lot of the orchestration that you would need to set up um, for a simple uh, chat uh, stack. Um, and so uh, all, all in all, like very, very uh, impactful updates. And I think uh, personally, I, I'm most interested in the, uh, uh, the, the Vision API because this is the, by far, like by a country mile, the most advanced Vision model the world has ever seen. And now it's available for a few cents per call or whatever, uh, you know, less a fraction of a cent per call. Um, what can you do if your apps can see? Uh, th that is just uh, an open-ended question that uh, I think everyone's still exploring. And um, when I say see, I don't mean see the real world as well. You can see the real world, but you can also see your desktop. You can also see drawings. Um, you can also see your architecture design and translate that to code, right? So it, it just becomes extremely flexible because it starts to add capabilities that humans have and better models what humans can do. And so what can you do with a serverless human? Yeah, so quite a few examples of uh, people playing around with that. Uh, and I think uh, uh, for a few examples where, you know, just uh, hand-drawn some architecture diagram with some Lambda function API gateway and then give me the confirmation <laughs> for this. So basically saves you, I don't know, a couple of hours of just typing out. Uh, <laughs> Wait, did they, draw the, did they draw the logo? Did they draw the API gateway logos and yeah, stuff? Yeah, yeah. They draw the uh, API gateway they logo with a line. <laughs> yeah, yeah, recognize that. <laughs> and they just gave us a, a, like a, a CloudFormation template uh, oh with API God. gateway com connecting to Lambda with the Lambda permissions and the usual stuff. And I think you have to fill in some, uh, some gaps on like uh, the URL path and things like that. But the basic template is there. So you can probably just start by, <laughs> okay, now bootstrap a new project. Uh, here's uh, let's do like architecture diagram on a board. Take a picture of it, and then just uh, let's okay turn it into CloudFormation or SAM or whatever, and that's your starting template for your project. Um, exciting to see where that's gonna go because <laughs> uh, the, the kind of like you said, the kind of use cases there is almost endless. Yeah, I, I'll mention. Okay, I'll, I want to mention one more thing. Um, I for the people who are listening and thinking like. That is what the potential vision is, which is, oh, cute drawing, turn it to a, to a thing, right? Um, really, really try to not stop there. Really, really try to think about what humans do when they debug uh, and when they, when they work with you. So um, what can you do if, if you hook up a vision API to your error logs, 
right? Um, to, to, to debug your, your application while it's in errors and then have it navigate your, your, your backend to figure out where the error is um, and to do sort of tier zero triaging of, of tasks, right? Like, so um, I, I think, I, I, I think I, one of the concerns are where people m make mistakes is they look at a cute demo and they say, oh, that's cute. And then they continue on carrying on with their day. You have to be imaginative. You have to try to push yourself to think about how you use your eyes or how you use your other sensibilities, your reasoning capabilities, your, your uh, contextual knowledge, um, and think out of the box because that is where the, the real alpha is. So, for example, um, I, I talked with um, uh, I, I talked to the founders of a of a, a, a startup that is that is doing sort of dev observability, and they asked me, you know, how they want to add AI capabilities, and they 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 showed me their their, their sort of copilot thing where they um, they have this sort of custom query language and they, they augmented it to to add sort of AI suggestions things, and I'm like, okay, cool. That is one way you're you're adding AI into your application, which is on-demand uh, copilot sort of assisting your users, um, but that is like sipping from a fire hose. Like you have been granted this awesome opportunity to access intelligence on demand and all you are doing is autocomplete. You know, like, um, like how, like, uh, so I basically I challenged them. They're saying like, okay, how can you, like, this is not good enough. How can you 100X your intelligence usage um, to, to use it on like completely like radical things to completely change the way that people work? Because the, the, the worst mistake in this field, when these things are moving this fast and, and capabilities are launching this rapidly, the worst mistake is incrementalism. Um, and, and, I, and, I, and I really want to advise people to, to try to break past that because we are all very used to incrementalism. Like we, we're all used to like the slow boil, like, the, like, oh, it takes 10 years to build a database. So like, you know, if, it, if it's not good for me this year, I'll wait a year. Like a very, very classic uh, tech, choose, tech uh, selection problem. Um, but I think uh, it, it, it behooves people, especially who are early adopters, who want to gain an advantage to uh, be creative and, and to, to try to um, implement uh, things in, in very aggressive, um, very expensive fashions, because all that all those costs will come down, right? Like Sam Altman came in and, and slashed the cost of GPT-4 by 3x. And, and that was like, GPT-4 is six months old, right? And the cost came down 3x. It's going to keep going down. Um, so you want to build expensive and then it will go down. But the people who are building expensive today will have maxed out the capabilities while the people who are only building for today's costs um, are going to underuse AI. Do you know what I mean? That's a really good point. Um, and that's something that uh, I guess the, uh, I've seen a few cases where, uh, like I said, we are built, uh, you know, companies are building AI assistants as opposed to, well, AI assistants that are helping the customer Know, generate like a graph or something and then helping them you know, you know, answer, uh, answering questions or, or help them answer questions as opposed to just look at a graph and then just tell the customer what's wrong. So rather yeah. than helping the customer get to the answer gradually, just tell them what the problem is. If you have the, <laughs> the, the, the AI capability to do that. Yeah, or, or like run it in the background without them even looking. Uh, at, at, at the right. at the at their dashboards, right? Like, why should you have a dashboard? You know, that kind of like really reimagine everything. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's that's a really interesting point about the incrementalism. Um, and speaking of which, I think as you recently, uh, uh, I think you, you tweeted something about the uh, AGI is going to be uh, achieved incrementally. <laughs> was that you that that tweeted that? Yeah, 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 yeah. That was my term for it. Uh, so, do you, do you want me to explain? <laughs> Yeah, sure, please. Okay, all right. So this is a joke reference to Sam Altman, um, who recently trolled everybody on Reddit by saying that AGI has been achieved internally. That was from his actual Reddit account that he posted in a random forum somewhere. Um, and everyone was like, oh my God, like, OpenAI has announced AGI or whatever. Uh, and then obviously he said, like, calm down, guys. This is, you know, this is, uh, this is not serious. Uh, I'm just trolling you guys. You guys have no chill, right? Like, you can't even take a joke. Uh, you can't, you can't recognize an obvious, obvious joke when you see one. Um, but he is serious about building AGI. On Dev Day, when Satya Nadella came on stage, and by the way, Sam, uh, OpenAI is the only company that can bring Satya Nadella for like a two minute appearance and he, he will fly down to San Francisco for you and like show up and go like, oh yeah, thanks, thanks for your business. And then, you know, 
<laughs> it's really funny. Um, but when, when he shook hands with Satya, he said the, the thing that I captioned in a screenshot, which is, um, I'm excited to, for us to build AGI together. So he's extremely serious about building AGI. He just uh, it's not there yet. Um, but he, the reason he's, it's not there yet is this, this is what slow takeoff looks like, right? So we are, um, Everyone in AI is sort of concerned about the existential threat of uh, humans versus AI. Um, and uh, for him, uh, the, the way that the existential debates typically map out to is whether or not you want slow, ti slow timeline versus fast timeline and then slow takeoff versus fast takeoff. So slow timeline means uh, we will take many, many millennia and centuries to build AI. Uh, fast, fast timeline means uh, we'll, we'll, we'll build it, we'll build it relatively quickly. Um, the slow takeoff is the slope of that, that chart, uh, whether or not you want it to go like this and curve out, or you want to go like this and curve out. Uh, and, and I'm showing something on an image, which is not going to sound good on audio, but effectively, like, do you want the slope to be steep at, at the start or do you want it, do you want it to be shallow at the start, um, and towards eventually achieving your goal? And something that Sam and all of OpenAI, they care, they care about this more than being open. Right, OpenAI. Everyone makes fun of it for not being open source, but they care about slow timelines more than open source. They care that they wake up everybody. Now, now everybody's woken up. They wake up everybody to the fact that, uh, like, machines can approximate thinking. Uh, it is maybe not perfect thinking. It is not actual thinking, but it is thinking in in the same way that planes are inspired by birds. They also fly, but they fly very differently. And I think you should think about machine intelligence the same way, right? Like machine intelligence also thinks, but they think very differently than humans. Um, they might think better than humans. They might think faster than humans. Uh, they might outlive, they will outlive humans. Um, and so one, wake up everybody, two, get everybody using it uh, to improve their lives, uh, three, figure out how to coexist. Because uh, what is at, at stake is potentially um, that they replace us, right? Like two, Machines, which uh, it, you know, can run billions of flops, um, like we are like trees. Um, and the risk is that we are the organic, slow-moving matter, and there's this fast-moving life form that is slowly emerging and evolving uh, that will replace us. So I think uh, all, all I'm saying there in the AGI incremental piece is that everything that they released at Dev Day feels like fast movement. Uh, it feels like, oh my god, all the APIs are here. I don't know what to build with them. I'm being overwhelmed. But actually, this is what slow looks like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, a slow, a slow and fast is uh, relative to who's uh, perceiving it. It's <laughs> relative. Me, yeah, yeah. Because um, yeah, I mean, and it also just shows honestly how slow other cloud services providers are, right? Like a lot of people are like, uh, you know, we ship like version five of our new database. Like we now have off. You know, like, <laughs> um, come on, guys, like, we can do better than this. <laughs> uh, yeah, and on the whole AI, uh, AGI thing, I've also been reading so many different uh, opinions uh, uh, in terms of how dangerous it is and how close we are. Uh, on the one hand, you've got uh, people like Elon, who was, uh, who was asking for, you know, penning a whole open letter about uh, we should all stop the AI research for six months. And then eight months later, he, he releases uh, Grok. Um, and then... And then you've also got the, um, I forgot his name, the guy that um, they founded the Google Brain uh, came out a while back. He left Google so that he can speak publicly about uh, the risk of uh, you know, AGI. And then yeah, Jeff Hinton. Yes, that's it, that's him, yeah. And then a couple of days ago, I saw a new paper from Google DeepMind, which uh, is talking about how the current, basically saying the current uh, LLM technologies is not likely to lead to generalizations, which I guess they are implying that uh, you're not going to build AGI from the current LLM architectures or technologies. Uh, and then the, I think that the second, the next day I read the Andrew Ang uh, came out and said, um, big tech has basically been playing up this, the risk of, uh, of AI just so that, that they can, they can weaponize uh, legislation to basically stop open source uh, models because that's the, that's a true danger for those big tech companies. Uh, I think Google at one point said that they have no moat because the open source model can just eat their lunch um, as well. 
Um, so, I, so I guess I'm just, I guess what I'm saying is that uh, I'm just reading been, been reading so many different different opinions about the whole AGI, where we are, and what is the true risk, and uh, and it's just been really hard to get a like an opinion about uh, you know what to think about this whole thing because uh, you got people, credible people from both sides, just you know saying completely different things. Yeah, um, I treat that as politics, um, you know, and it's not the domain of engineering. Um, so you there's a there's a place and time for politics and. Uh, People can talk about that at the dinner table, um, but I don't make it any significant part of my conversations as an AI engineer. Um, and I think that is where I leave it because um, what we try to do is in, in, as engineers is try to make falsifiable claims, right? To, to understand the, the, the true nature of the technology that we can build it, the, and max out the capabilities and what we have today so we can build products for, for real users. Um, anything beyond that is the domain of politicians, researchers, whatever. Um, I don't really know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and and that saves me a lot of time, right? Deciding that I don't know, deciding that uh, I will never be an expert in that means that I just, I just not spend time on it. Right. Just great. focus on the things that you can have control over, things that you know, you know can be true, can be can be verified. Okay. Yeah, it's, yeah, a, it's a personal, you know, like there's a circle of concern and a circle of influence, right? Um, it, which is a Stephen Covey concept. Um, and having too wide of a circle of concern that is outside your circle of influence means that you care about a lot of things which you have absolutely no power over. Um, and that is a huge, fantastic way to waste your life, just worrying about things that you have no, no control over. Um, so why not let's focus on things that we care, we care about things that we can control and grow that over time and grow our influence and impact. And if you find someday find yourself in a position to impact world, global policy on, on AI regulation, sure, then you can con concern yourself with that. But right now, let's, uh, let's build. That's a good advice. That's also uh, why I kind of uh, stopped caring as much about uh, football as I used to. <laughs> used to get really <laughs> upset about the uh, football results, but then I realized, like you said, uh, you know, those are things I have no control over, but I can uh, care a lot about them. And so, uh, <laughs> yeah, I think over time, I just uh, got slightly more so arms distance. Uh, uh, you know, still watch football now and then, but just don't get the super... I don't know, uh, emotionally invested, uh, I guess that, that that's the right way to describe it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, so talking about the building stuff, um, so one of the things you've been working on for a while is a small developer, and I guess, uh, which is uh, one of the projects under the whole small AI, um, I guess, uh, umbrella. For, for folks who haven't seen it before, can you just uh, you know, tell us about uh, small developer and maybe small AI as well, uh, what it is, yes. uh, and what's your goal for the project? Okay, so uh, you said this is video. Do we do we do would you want to see the video? We can we, I'd have, love we have to. a demo, or yeah. can just describe it. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, it, yeah, uh, yeah. If you can demo something, that'd be great. Uh, for folks who are listening on the on the uh, Spotify or some podcast platform, um, you can uh, you can find the link to the YouTube recording as well, so you can yes. watch the demo in the in this full fidelity. <laughs> um, I know as a podcaster, it's very hard to get people to sign up for the YouTube of the podcast. So everybody, please sign up to the YouTube of the podcast. I know it's very hard. <laughs> uh, so, okay. So uh, I, I started this in a, in a weekend, but it, effectively, I think that um, every um, co-pilot and other tool out there is meant for, for adding incremental small things to existing code. And, but when I want to make my own standalone apps, like one-off apps, it is hard to start a new code base from scratch, like completely from scratch. And so um, what I made was this, which is effectively a small developer who, who that just um, scaffolds out the code base uh, and goes from zero to one, right? Um, because I found this to be the the, 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 the gap in the, in the market with regards to... Uh, all the, all the code assistance tools, right? Everything, everything else is kind of trying to add small things to your code base. Here it is starting a new code base from scratch. So you can use those tools and complement with each other. Um, but I, I wanted to, to have this uh, to, to start with. And the main, the main idea is that you have this little sort of Python thing, you, you install the dependencies and then you run Python with like a, a prompt, right? It, it, it starts to, to build something that, that is great. Um, but then you can gradually upgrade that over time into a full prompt file. And uh, I can show you what that prompt looks like. Um, and here is what coding with prompts uh, can can look like as well. Um, it looks like my uh, GitHub is pretty slow to load uh, my prompts for some reason. Uh, so here I want to build a Chrome extension that only does one thing, right? Uh, so here I wanted to read uh, 
the current page and then uh, send a send a page to Anthropic Cloud API. Um, I want it to display animations. I have never learned CSS animations, but it uh, once I describe the animations, it does it does the CSS animations. Um, I want it to uh, add in some prompts. So here I have. Uh, suggested names for things. I have uh, a prompt inside a code block inside of a prompt. Um, I, ha I have it to use storage for an API key. Um, um, and I have it uh, specify the kind of format of output that I want. Um, here, I'm asking it to use a new, UR a new API that it's never seen before. So instead of figuring out how to code it, I just paste in the docs. Um, so I just I did that. And then uh, while I was debugging, um, I just kind of pasted it uh, paste advice that I that I see work, uh, and then and now I can uh, sort of absorb all that uh, advice. Uh, so when when you see the uh, the the sort of video, it actually looks like this. Um, uh, there's there's a there's a whole bunch of there's a whole bunch of videos that uh, people can see, but uh, effectively I can I can sort of send you over to that video, um, and you can see that for yourself. But um, you know I didn't want to waste any time setting this up, although it looks like YouTube is taking a while to. Um, to load this anyway, uh, but effectively, uh, you know, uh, this is this is how it looks uh, in when you when you actually run uh, that prompt, which is it generates a code base. Uh, you can you can land on you know any blog post, and you can click on the code extension, um, and then it would just uh, read that code. Uh, it's going to store the URL. It has the loading bar uh, animation that I asked for, um, and then it's gonna it's gonna make API calls. And it's going to uh, return the results in exactly the format that I wanted. But this is a one-off app that I wanted to build for myself that is now made easier because I had my own small developer, right? Like I just write uh, in English the, the stuff that I wanted. Um, I, it does take technical knowledge, right? Like everything that I put here was sort of technical knowledge. And I did about 20 or 30 iterations building this. But now I don't have to remember how to make a Chrome extension. Um, I don't have to sweat the minor details of like updating this file to match this other file to do to do this other thing. It just figures it out all for me. And I think um, that is the way that most new projects should be started. And I think I need it enables you making a hundred one-off apps. Like now it lowers the activation energy for making apps uh, to something that's so easy that you shouldn't even think about it. You can make fun apps that's personal that are only for one person. Uh, and that is great. So it, it, it enables a long tail of small small apps. And I, I really like that. Um, any questions? I, I feel like I've been talking for a little bit. No, I think this is great. And also with the with the new um, the new uh, uh, app marketplace that uh, OpenAI is, is is launching, I wonder if there's also a place for something someone using small developer to help them essentially build a new AI app uh, for that that's going to go into the OpenAI marketplace. Uh, well, App Store. What do they call it? App Store? Is that is, is that what GP, they call they, it? They say call it GPT Store. Uh, I just I think it's a horrible name because GPT is already already means GPT a store, specific okay. type of language model. <laughs> well, yeah. Whatever. Yeah, that is that is a really good way to um, flex your capabilities in prompt engineering and AI engineering in the first place, right? This AI engineering is what I call this thesis of one plus two equals three. So, software one is manually handwritten code uh, with like you know for loops, if statements, all that. Software two is machine learned code where you learn the weights to things based on a whole bunch of data. And software 3.0 is the age of foundation models where you feed in a bunch of unsupervised learned, learned um, code where you don't even have uh, supervised like uh, test and train sets or, or lab labeled sets. Um, and then you prompt it and, and then you prompt it and get some, get some um, uh, output out. And so the one plus two equals three thesis means that in order to be very good at foundation model usage, you actually have to write software 1.0 code, like traditional boring software engineering code to make the most usage out of uh, software 3.0. Um, and so AI engineers will be a superset of prompt engineers for this reason, because we can write code to real language models rather than just prompt it. Uh, and that's obvious to me, that's obvious to most people, but uh, it's, it's summarized in this sort of one plus two equals three th thesis. Okay, that's a very interesting thesis. Uh, but also, I guess in that case, I'll be slightly worried as a newcomer because now that means uh, I'm at a huge disadvantage because I haven't gone to the software 1.0 phase. Um, I mean, for me, it's, it's great because that means uh, for folks like me who's been doing the software 1.0 for, 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 for so many years, uh, I'm kind of in a good place. 
But what about for newcomers that come into this? Uh, and uh, doesn't that mean that they are inherently at a disadvantage where they're learning software engineering from the like a prompting uh, side only? Yeah, um, no one said that it would be fair, right? No, the world has no obligation to be fair to you. Um, so you, you just play the cards that you're dealt and you do, you do the best that you can. Um, but two, uh, like I said before, it is actually much easier to learn software 1.0 because of chatbots and all these things. Um, so I think you will, you, ha you have the disadvantage of starting later than everybody else. And then you have the advantage that it is actually a lot easier to learn. So I think it net offsets each other somewhat. Um, you will never, you will never replace years of experience in, in pr practical production scenarios. Right. And that's something that everybody has to go through. Um, but yeah. <laughs> Okay. Okay. That's fair. Um, so in that case, uh, with a uh, small developer, have, uh, what's been some of the more uh, interesting or most, uh, uh, I guess, creative uh, stuff that, you know, applications that uh, your users have built so far? Yeah. Uh, people have built, uh, uh, you know, VS Code extensions. People have built uh, uh, a CRM. Uh, people have built full stack, you know, MongoDB, Express, React, Node apps. Uh, and then people have built... Uh, you know, so small like uh, ChatGPT plugins. Uh, this is before yes, you know, yesterday's Dev Day announcements. Um, but anything where like the scope uh, is small, the code base is small. Uh, it, you're, you're, uh, it's it's like a one-off thing. It's like, oh man, I wish I had an app to do that, and then you don't do it because you know it takes some effort to set things up and learn the new APIs for it. Now you can just kind of rely on the language model to scaffold that most for you, and then you do the last mile customization yourself. So um, a lot of single-purpose apps, and I think that's fine. Um, the, the, which is which is another level from like one-off scripting. You know, like uh, a lot of people have a sort of one-off scripts that they store somewhere in, in some some markdown file or whatever, and then copy paste whenever they need it. Uh, this is the general purpose version of that, which is like instead of instead of scripting, just like prompt it with natural language and then uh, scaffold out the, the code base. Yeah, um, and then so. Yeah, saves, saves a bunch of time. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, so for me, like small developer is a project that, uh, you know, really unexpectedly blew up because it was, it was uh, a, a new coding agent that everybody uh, felt like fit a uh, need in their use case. Um, but it's not going to make money, right? You know, Greenfield is always going to be small things. Like it's, it's not going to make money. So um, I've always been interested in uh, trying to build a, a company or tr trying to find a, a space to, to, to build a startup in. And uh, what small AI should be is a platform for people to start building their apps uh, in the same way that small developer is a platform for, is a, is a project for people to scaffold out new, new apps. Um, and that's what I'm uh, hopefully working on going forward. Uh, in the meantime, I've just been doing a lot of exploration of the space. So for me, I, I always like my process is mostly public. So I, I, I do latent space as a podcast and newsletter. Um, I just ran the first AI engineer summit, uh, which you can find on YouTube. Um, and it's going to be run twice a year. Um, and for me, like that is my KubeCon. You know, like if cloud native was a thing and, you know, uh, and KubeCon is, is the, is the conference to serve the cloud native audience, um, then AI engineer summit is my, my attempt to serve that AI engineer audience. Okay, great. And I will put a link to the AI uh, or to, to, to the summit on um, the, put a YouTube link uh, in the description below as well. So anyone can go and check it out. Um, so in that case, I guess my last question is, um, how do you think, you know, how do you think, uh, software engineering is going to look like in five years? Um, are we all going to be, you know, still writing code or are we going to be just writing everything in plain English like you're doing with a small developer, like you're doing with uh, prompt engineering? Um, is the, you know, is English going to be the, the next, uh, the next ma mainstream you know, programming language? Yeah. Um, English is going to be uh, the programming language for uh, non-technical users, right? This is called, this is called end user computing. Um, and the vast majority of, of human humans will always be non-technical and that's okay. Uh, but I think the way that we code, uh, is still going to be very much, uh, software 1.0 based. And, and, but I think that's why it's software, uh, like that's why the one plus two equals three thesis is very strong because, um, you have to wield code. You have to write code in order to wield LLMs properly or to, to their full potential. You want to make them iterate in loops. You want to have the chain of thought. You want to do uh, retrieval augmented generation. All of these are known to improve LLM performance. And uh, based on the way that we construct transformer models today, they will never be replaced uh, for, for, for at least for the next 10, 20 years, I think. Um, so like, 
those are decent enough things to bet on. Uh, and basically what I often say is if you are worried about AI taking your jobs, then you should become an AI engineer because that will be the last job to be taken away because that is the job that is designed to take other jobs. Like mathematically speaking, uh, I can, <laughs> you know, um, there will be, in order for AI to take jobs, there needs to be somebody making that happen. And that will be the AI engineer. So if you want a job, if you want job security, you should, uh, you know, uh, be an AI engineer because that will be the last job to be automated. And then at, at some point, all of us will live in, um, you know, uh, post uh, abundance and, and not worry about jobs at all. <laughs> So basically, Elon's right. AI is going to do everything. We're all going to go into a, a, a society where we don't have to work anymore. We can just do what we want. <laughs> I think, I mean, that's the Star Trek uh, vision of the future. Um, I think that um, that is a pipe dream that, you know, uh, I think that is, we're basically about 3,000 years too early for that. <laughs> but you heard it guys uh you know that's that's it your next job should be an ai engineer that's gonna be the safest job uh, you have for, for the next decade uh you know uh and there's there's plenty more i actually spec'd out three types of ai engineers in in my talk so uh, if you guys want to see the AI engineer summit we have a lot of AI engineer examples there Okay, great. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll go check it out as well. I haven't seen the talks myself, so I'll definitely be, uh, be looking at be checking out the videos uh, myself after this. Um, so, Sean, thank you so much uh, for taking the time to talk to us today. Um, I guess uh, before we go, any last, so last words, anything, uh, anything you want to share about uh, projects or uh, how do people find you on the internet? Yeah, um, people can find me, I guess, on Twitter or X uh, at Swix. Um, my, my main site is Swix.io. But uh, the main blog that you guys have been hearing about is Latent Space. So that's latent.space. I like the short domains. Um, and you'll be hearing more from me about small AI as I build it up. Okay, great. I'll put those uh, links to your profiles and the latent space as well uh, in the description below so everyone can go and check it out. Again, Sean, thank you so much. Um, I hope, you know, hope you enjoyed the rest of your day. And uh, you know, sorry, it took you, I had to take you away from your hackathon. By the way, Sean uh, is uh, taking the time away from his uh, AI hackathon to talk to us today. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, there's a lot of builder energy uh, here. So I, I, yeah, but I, I didn't want to reschedule with you because I, I really wanted to also process Dev Day with, uh, with you as well. So thanks for giving me the opportunity. No worries. Take it easy, man. I hope to see you again soon. All right, see you soon. So that's it for another episode of Real World Serverless. To access the show notes, please go to realworldserverless.com. If you want to learn how to build production-ready serverless applications, please check out my upcoming courses at productionreadyserverless.com. And I'll see you guys next time.